Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. Episode 60 of uh, For Future Considerations. The gang's all here. I'm still alive. No one's killed me yet. <laughs> yet. Yes. Keyword. We still got a little bit to go here in, in this week, or, you know, the way work's going, and I might be doing it myself. So, <laughs> you never know. But we're ready to go with the OT. An exciting episode for this one, for sure. Yeah. Matt, John, and Manny here. Boys, can you believe it's the basically the end of August? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. What's, what's funny at the place that I work, we deal um, with insurance, and so when you get your renewal for your insurance policy, it's normally two months or so ahead of time. And so we get people calling in saying, "Oh, I've got my renewal, and see if there's other prices, or want to check on this and that." I'm like, "Why are you calling now? Your policy renews in October." Oh, yeah, that's not very far anymore, is it? <laughs> that's like a month away. Okay, yeah, I'd want to get this done too. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wild couple of weeks here, wild past month. And uh, if you missed our our first episode of the week, debates uh, with a variety of different topics: football, hockey, the the greatest of uh, the hockey goaltenders, the greatest of baseball players. And uh, you all have an opportunity to go back and listen to that. And you can find all of our previous podcasts on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And if you didn't agree with our takes, you can let us know on social media. Uh, podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook at for future considerations. Yeah, we got some great content on their videos, uh, links, uh, websites, content, uh, shirtless for shot pictures, <laughs> all of that on uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook as well, and plenty of information about our episodes too. And you can also send us your questions and uh, topic suggestions and guest suggestions and requests for picks at for future considerations at gmail.com. Yeah, we want to give a big shout-out to a former guest, Luke Boca. He's been signed by the Orlando Solar Bears. He will get to play with former Windsor Spitfire teammate Aaron Luchuk in Florida in the ECHL. He was a guest back all the way back on episode 16. It's been a while. It sure has. Big shout-out to a few other people that we're hoping are going to be future guests of the podcast. A former NHLer, Mark Savard, named the head coach of the Windsor Spitfires in the Ontario Hockey League. Eric Wellwood, former Flint Firebirds coach. He's been named the head coach of the Newfoundland Growlers, which is the ECHL affiliate for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, uh, congratulations to those gentlemen. Speaking of coaches, our guest on this edition of the OT is someone who has been a goaltending coach in the Vancouver Canucks organization for the past five seasons. He played almost 400 career games in the AHL and the NHL, including with the St. Louis Blues, the Canucks, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. He finished his pro career after three seasons in the KHL and started coaching. He also starred in the Ontario Hockey League with his hometown Owen Sound Platers, where I met him, And he still holds the franchise record for most career playoff wins by a goaltender. Please welcome to, for future considerations, Curtis Sanford. Curtis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's that's quite a, you know, an an entrance. I've never I've never been you know 
welcomed into a show like that before in my entire life. So I guess that's a first. <laughs> Manny always does a deep dive into the the guests, and, and it sounds like he's given a hall of a hall of fame speech every time he does it. We, we've had several guests that sit back and say, "Oh shit, I that's pretty good. I'm pretty impressive." If you don't mind my saying. Show's over, now, to... right? Show's over. Now. Okay, let's go. Yeah. All right, let's start recording. Here we go. Hey, if you need me to write a speech, you let me know. It's been a long time though, but. Thanks for doing this. How's the family? Family's really well. Family's growing. Um, three boys, um, still happily married, living in Owen Sound in the off season. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of things on the go, especially, you know, moving out West in a, in, a, in less than a week. So it's been, uh, it's been crazy times, but, uh, you know, we've, we're getting through COVID obviously still, um, we the boys have done really well with that. We 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 we've hung in there, and hopefully we're going to see the other side of this pretty soon. Like Melinda's a saint, right? Dealing with you and the three boys, like come on. Um. Yeah. Like that would be one way to describe it, I guess. Like, <laughs> I don't know how she does it on a daily basis. Um. Sometimes I I think it's harder to put up with me than it is the three the three boys, especially two of them being teenagers now. So it's uh. Yeah, she's got four boys to take care of, really. <laughs> well, I'm uh, super excited about this episode, being a big Vancouver Canucks fan, and I have a lot of uh, questions. But uh, first, uh, congratulations on the job as goaltending coach with the Adversford Canucks as uh, you guys move west from Utica. Um, how excited are you for that move and uh, and continuing that role? Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, I enjoyed my time in Utica immensely. Uh I worked with great people there um, over the years. It's obviously my first coaching job that I got into. So, you know, there's going to be some some faces that, you know, we're not going to see this year uh, moving west. But uh, in the same breath, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting the new, the new guys that are stepping into roles uh, as we get out there. Uh, I'm excited to see what Abbotsford has to offer in terms of, you know, the support that our group's going to get, uh, especially being a, you know, a Canucks team now with an affiliation in Abbotsford that's never happened there. They were used, they used to be affiliated with the Flames, and, you know, I think it was kind of hit and miss. Um, but as far as I know, uh, ticket sales are going through the roof, and I think it's going to be pretty exciting. What do you know about the, the role that you're, you're stepping into in Abbotsford, and, and how do you expect it to be different uh, than, than what you're leaving in Utica? Oh, well, I, you know, the role doesn't change. It's, it's still, you know, it's still working with, with our goalie prospects, uh, you know, that are coming up through the AHL and, and through the juniors or college, if that's where they're playing, uh, it's keeping tabs on those guys. So that role really doesn't change too much. Um, you know, I think where it does change is, is really being close to Vancouver and, you know, a media hotbed that Vancouver is. I think there's going to be a lot more eyes on our team, uh, a lot more eyes on the prospects, obviously. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot more questions to answer from the media. And I think there's going to be, you know, uh, you know, a little bit more criticism at times than, than there has been in the past in Utica. So I think that's going to be the major difference. Want to talk more about coaching too, but let's talk about your career. Going back to the O, where I first met you, being an Owen Sound boy, how cool was it to play for your hometown Platers team? It was awesome, um, you know, because that goes all the way back to 1989, really, for me, when 
the team moved from Owen Sound or moved from Guelph to Owen Sound. And I remember, uh, you know, my dad taking me down to that first barbecue and that where we picked up our season tickets. It was section B, uh, row C, seats two and three. I remember it. And we sat right behind the visiting goaltender and um, it, it was really exciting. I remember going and watching the Grays play before before the OHL got there and, and it was always exciting. And you know, I think uh, the the Platers and now the attack have become a massive fabric of uh, you know of, of Owen Sound, and um, I, I I just I I still enjoy the fact that there's really good OHL hockey being played in Owen Sound, and uh, you know that they've had you know a good a good amount of success too since then. But yeah, that's where it all started for me, and and then getting the opportunity to actually play, you know, was a it was really a dream come true. I didn't I didn't expect it. Um, Owen Sound was one of those teams that I didn't even talk to leading into the draft. And, you know, I think in passing, you know, the week before the draft, you know, Ray McAlvey reached out and said, you know, what he was thinking and whatnot. And if everything, you know, came to pass that if I was around in a certain time of the draft that they were going to take me. So, you know, I wasn't really expecting Owen Sound to take me, to be honest, but uh, things worked out and, uh, you know, like I said, it was a it was it was a dream come true for me. Setting records too. Like, uh, what do you remember from your time in the O? Because you played with some great teams. Like, I'm still upset for you guys. You didn't win '99 because that team was great. But you had uh, uh, Adam Mayer, Joel Ward, Aaron Franson, Sean Avery, Dan Snyder. Like, you played with some guys who went on to play and have tremendous careers. Uh, what do you remember from your time? Well, what I remember from my time was that it was a struggle early on. And I remember my first year uh, when it ended, you know, I didn't play an awful lot. I played behind Brent Johnson. When I did get to play, I, you know, I was, I played like a young guy. So that first year was really, you know, survival mode for me. Um, and I think heading into my second year, you know, I, I had a lot to prove still, and they went out and they got an overage goalie, Owen McInerney. And so I knew I was going to have to battle, like, not only to, you know, to play for in the OHL, but just to stay in the league. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a daily battle. I think the, the thing that I remember the most probably wasn't even, shouldn't even remember it. I should be erasing it from my memory, but we went on a road trip out east uh, we played Kingston, Belleville, and Ottawa in a three-game set, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I remember we won, I think, 9-7 in Kingston. <laughs> <laughs> we lost 12-2 in Belleville. Oh. And we lost 10 nothing in Ottawa. <laughs> and I remember getting off the bus and saying to myself, this will never happen again. And I think at that point is probably is when I just mentally started to really bear down. And I, I don't want to say take the game more seriously, but really take my career into my own hands and, and just say enough's enough. Like, you know, you got to be better than this. And, and, you know, you're, you're doing it for more people than, than just yourself. Um, so I think that was a turning point in my career. Um, 
because I, I, you know, I went on. And I, I, th- I think I finished that season pretty strong, and I didn't start in the playoffs. But game three in the Kitchener series, uh, you know, Dave Siciliano came in and said, "Hey, you're going, and this is this is your train now. So take it." And and I played out the uh, the playoffs, and we won our we won that first round against Kitchener, and we hung in tight against Ottawa in the second round. It was a really really good team. And then we kind of, you know, took that into the third year, and we had a really strong team, like you said, Manny. And uh, that was that was kind of the year that got away. I thought that we had an extremely talented team. We were deep with scoring. Uh, we could score, you know, five on five power play. Joel Ward was like a shorthanded goal machine that year. Um, and, and, and we made some good trades at the right time to bring in some good depth guys, especially on defense where, you know, I think we, you know, we always needed help um, and you can never have enough help. But that was a really good year. I think the turning point in the London series was in warm up when Jason Metcalf slash West Goldie across the wrist and broke it. And uh, I remember because I still have conversations about with Gary Agnew about that every so often in the coach's room saying, you ruined that for me, eggs, and so we still have some good fun with it. But uh, yeah, that was that was a great year of hockey. It was a lot of fun and played with you know so many great players. It was there's a lot of good memories from that team. I have to ask about uh, Sean Avery. Was he the same guy in junior as he was in the NHL? Uh yeah. Um, but <laughs> but the, you know the funny thing is with Sean is. Uh, um, I think if you're one of those guys that weren't going to kind of deal with his antics and you just kind of let him know that, you know, it wasn't going to phase you or anything like that, I think he would kind of leave you alone. And uh, I, I, I always, I got along with Sean really good and not a lot of people do or did even back <laughs> then. But, uh, you know, he was, he, was, he was always pretty good to me. So I, I don't want to uh, get on his bad side either. <laughs> he never stopped talking on the bus, though. Like, uh, on those bus trips, he'd never stop talking. Uh, Dan Snyder, we lost him way too early. What do you remember about Dan? Oh, Dan was just salt of the earth. And I think, you know, uh, he was the driver of the bus. Um, his work ethic, you know, was probably unmatched by anybody on and off the ice. Uh, extremely, you know, just such a character guy. Um just solid to the core. Everybody gravitated towards him. Um, everybody loved him. Everybody listened when he spoke up. Um, you're willing to go through the wall for him as a captain. And, you know, what he, what he did really well was he could go into the coach's office, get the message from the coach, but have a way of just being that segue from the coaches into our locker room. And he was one of those guys in that third year, which doesn't really happen very often in junior, but our dressing room, our locker room really became our room. And, you know, I thought, I think our coaching staff could really rely on the, you know, the older voices in that room to, to carry the message. So they didn't really have to come in there and, you know, you know, bang away on guys. Um, So it was, it was kind of taken, you know, taken care of internally with the with the captains of the team and and that's really a trait that you see in in professional hockey and I thought that's something that you know Snides did a really good job of 
you mentioned uh, the, the the personal drive and, and the, the point where you had decided to, to start taking your career in, in your own hands. Undrafted from the OHL, you signed as a free agent in the St. Louis Blues. And I, I want to take this, this conversation in a couple of different directions here. But for yourself, uh, going through that, not getting drafted in the NHL, obviously the, the odds become much less and less and less as you go along through that prospect. But how did you get the opportunity to sign a free agent contract in the, into the NHL? And, and how did not getting drafted affect you or, or not affect you as you, you made hockey still your, your goal? Um, it, not getting drafted really pissed me off. Um, it was tough. It was, uh, I went down to Boston, as did Joel Ward, and, and we both sat there through that entire draft. And it was... Uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fun experience. Um, obviously, and you leave there, and you're starting to second guess yourself, which is I think pretty normal at that stage. Um, a couple weeks later, you know, after you kind of let the dust settle and and you know, kind of pick yourself back off up off the floor, um, I was able to get a, a tryout with the Edmonton Oilers, and you know, it was probably just. It was obviously just one of those ones where that exists, where it's like, hey, we just got to round out our, our, uh, you know, our training camp roster and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. But, anyways, it was a great experience, and it was something that I could, you know, build off of heading into that my overage season. Um, where it got funny and interesting was uh, after the last game of that season. Uh, it was a home game against the Guelph Storm on a Saturday night, and I got home after that game, and uh, Mark Reeds called me. And he, Mark Reeds was coaching in the, the Missouri River Otters in the United Hockey League. And he said, what are your plans tomorrow? And I was just <laughs> like, I really don't have any plans, Mark. We just finished our season, and we didn't make the playoffs, so I'm pretty much open. And he said, I can put you on a flight down to Charlotte, and you can meet our team in Asheville, North Carolina, where we play on Tuesday. So that Sunday, pack up my what, whatever stuff I needed and traveled from my house to Toronto, Toronto down to Charlotte, got picked up by the assistant coach in a rental car in Charlotte, drove another hour and a half to Asheville, North Carolina, where I was on the ice practicing with them on the Monday. And so, you know... Um, Reader played me. They probably had about 10 games left in the regular season. Uh, he played me probably six out of those 10 games and put together, you know, good numbers, I guess. And I think he really went to bat for me with the St. Louis Blues organization, him being an alumni, uh, him coaching in that area. Um, I think he had a lot to do with me getting an invite to training camp, to rookie camp, and uh that you know and I took it really serious I, I was just like I'm going down there you know to earn a contract because at that time I was filling out school applications out east because that's where my hockey was going to take me um but yeah I got lucky enough uh, that I signed out a training camp and uh you know that was the start of my St. Louis Blues uh career and then you got a chance to play in your first uh, NHL game in 2002. Um, you've got a great memory for, for scores and, yeah. <laughs> and games and opponents. I'm sure you've got a lot of memories from that first game. What was that like? I was, I was sitting there. I just got called up. Uh, the funny thing is, is I think <laughs> we were on the road in Worcester 
I can't even remember where we are on the road, but I literally packed one suit and I had maybe two pairs of underwear and a toothbrush (laughs) besides my gear. And I remember getting to St. Louis and yeah, this is a true story. I remember getting to St. Louis and we didn't play for a couple days. So I was there practicing and, uh, after one of the practices, I was like, I need to do something. I went and I watched a movie and I was like, I was that creepy guy wearing a suit at the cinema. <laughs> like, so it was just really like, it was, it was embarrassing, but I had, like, I didn't have any money. I just got called up and, uh, but, uh, but anyways, onto the game, uh, we're sitting there <laughs> near the first, near the end of the first period, we were playing Columbus at home. Uh, Reinhard Divas was in net and he got hurt near the end of the first period. And I was sitting there and I was just like, is this really happening? Like, uh, and it's just like, Hey, get in there, kiddo. You're, you're, you're next up. So I went in there and anyways, we, we, you know, we, we played a really strong game. Obviously I was, I was playing behind an all-star team in St. Louis at that time. And, um, I think the score was seven nothing. They uh, then we got a penalty with about thirty five seconds left in the third period, and they broke the shutout with about thirty. Oh. <laughs> but it was it was a it was a fun, yeah it was fun, and and then I got my first start uh, the game after that, and played a few more in a row, and um, yeah, it was it's awesome. It's something I'll, I'll that I'll never forget because you get there, and. You wanna you wanna enjoy the moment. You wanna make the most of it, but you wanna perform. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want I didn't want to let that moment kind of get away from me and and not perform at my best and and you know it be my only chance. So I, I just wanted to make sure that I performed well well enough that you know I was gonna get another shot. Did you oh, did they you keep the what... game puck? <laughs> I got the game puck. Yeah. Do you remember what movie you saw? <laughs> no, this gets even worse now. Oh, no. You do. It was. I watched The Passion of the Christ. Oh my God! Feel in a good suit. Movie. In a suit, and you know it's it's in Italian. It's like I mean, it's, it's dubbed. So yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing! The memory on this guy is unbelievable. The Sean McVay of the age. <laughs> you know what, though, the people in the movie theater probably thought it was some sort of a religious assignment that you were doing. So you probably well, didn't hey, look that out of place. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that if. if yeah, I <laughs> so I have to ask: When you get called off the bench, are you uh, happy or are you uh, absolutely terrified when you had to go into that first game? Oh, I was terrified. You know, like I was, it was, I thought I was probably going to have to, you know, change my, change my long underwear (laughs) at intermission. But uh, no, once you see it happen, it's just like, you know, what's going on. Just get out there, uh, get ready to go. But um, once, once you get in there, it's just like, you just do what you do and you just, you just try and focus as best you can. And, um, Although, like some of the ranks, they're not the easiest to focus in, but you know that's part of the job. It's part of the gig, and you you gotta you gotta battle through it. Who was on that Blues team? Oh boy, um, Chris Pronger, Al McInnes, 
Barrett Jackman, Keith Kachuk, Doug Waite, uh, Pavel Dimitra, Scott Young. It was um, I'm 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 forgetting so many other good players like Martin Rucci. So Curtis Sanford and Curtis San- Dimitra <laughs> just skated by you okay kid. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah no kidding. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really good team. It was uh, I was well insulated to put it uh, to put it lightly. And then uh, you played with that Blues organization until 2007, until you joined my Vancouver Canucks. How did that come about? Um, you know what? Like, it was. Uh, I had a lot of. I had a lot of just bad luck with injuries. Really, like I, I blew out my knee. Um, I was playing a ton. And I blew up my knee on a fluke accident. Um, you know, Nikolai. Wasn't that wasn't that oh five? Like you were having a career year or something like that? Do, yeah. Do I like, remember that correctly? Yeah, I was playing a ton and um Mike Kitchen was the coach and um he was just throwing me in there every game and it was it was awesome. The guys were the guys were playing really well in front of me. We didn't have, we didn't have a great team. We didn't have a great record, but like we were scrappy and we were tough to play against and we were young and uh, yeah. And I just got, you know, I got hit. It was a fluke accident and I just, I tore up my knee pretty badly, which, which took me out of the, for the rest of the season, which had maybe 16 games left. But, you know, I was playing, you know, I was playing really good at that time, and I probably would have played another twelve out of those last sixteen games. I would have imagined. Um, so it was really, it was really tough. And then when you get an injury like that at the end of the year, you know, a lot of, you know, you don't get to start training. A lot of it is rehab for like the first two and a half months. So it really cuts into your off season training. And once you start training again, it's like you're all, you're not really starting for scratch, but you're almost starting from scratch again because you lose a lot. And uh, so then you're already kind of, you know, battling uphill, getting ready for the next season. And then, uh, you know, didn't start of the season. Okay. Uh, wasn't in great shape by, you know, by any means, not as good as I need to be. And, uh, started to play a little bit better and then I um I tweaked my groin and uh you know missed a couple practices and then you know felt I was good enough to come back and uh you know Ray Barilli who's who's out who's an outstanding athletic therapist you know always did all he could to help me out and you know I probably came back a little too early because I wanted to play and uh then I just blew it out I just blew my groin out really badly and uh, again, I lost probably another two and a half, three months, um, doing that. And again, that's in the middle of the season at that point. So it's, it gets really tough. It gets really tough. So you never really get, make it back after an injury like that, especially in the middle of the season, it's, you know, it gets tough. And then I think, uh, you know, with those two things combined and, you know, I didn't have a great st- season statistically, especially after getting back after that injury, it was really, it was a rocky road up and down and Manny legacy really, had a strong season and uh, they signed him to an extension and, you know, they just, they just told me at the end of that year that they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to qualify me and, and resign me. So that left me as a free agent. And that's when Vancouver showed up and uh, offered me a contract and, and joint gladly joined them and, and their team and, and, and Roberto Luongo. Uh, what was it like sharing the crease with Roberto Luongo? Is he a fun oh, guy to. Yeah. Like, 
first and foremost, uh, unbelievable goalie. That goes without saying. Um, but competitive. I never saw a guy so competitive my entire life at everything that he did, whether it was, you know, kickball or poker on the airplane or fantasy football or basketball. He was like, (laughs) but like nothing like in terms of like on ice competitiveness and like just being a consummate pro to show up to work and work the way he did and work diligently at his craft day in and day out and play as many games a season as he did. It was, it was, it was so eye opening. I was just like, wow, that's what it takes to be a hall of fame type of goalie type of player. And it was just, it was really, it was really eye opening, but it was awesome. Great experience. Your time in uh, Vancouver then led to uh, getting an opportunity to play for a couple of seasons in the AHL with, with Montreal, um, behind Carey Price, behind Yaroslav Halak. So again, learning learning from the best, but uh, from there, getting a chance to move to Columbus and, and getting to play again um, with uh, with the NHL club. So what do you remember about that experience? Well, I think, you know, it was almost like you got to take a step back to take a step forward again. Uh, so that was my approach with, with going to Hamilton. And again, with, with Montreal, um, Julian Brisebois was, was the guy that actually brought me into Montreal. He was the assistant GM. He was the GM of the Hamilton Bulldogs. And, uh, you know, my role there was to, you know, add some depth, add some stability and add some experience to, you know, an, uh, the AHL team, uh, but also be be someone that, you know, could be called up if there is an injury that had some experience in the NHL as well. Um, so what I remembered about Hamilton was like we had some young teams. Uh, we had a lot of the up-and-comers for the Montreal Canadiens like Max Pacioretty, uh, P.K. Subban, Davey DeHarnay, um, you know, Sean Bell, Yannick Weber, you know, some really, really good young, talented players. And, you know, they, there was a group of us guys older that I think were brought in to, you know, help with that culture and help establish, you know, some good, good attitude, a good culture. Um, so we we did that. We took it really seriously. Again, uh, Guy Boucher was the coach. He was a first year coach in pro, and you know we had we we had a great year. And you know we lost in Game Seven in the semifinals, and we did the same thing the year after that. Again, we had a, a strong team, but you saw the guys like Pacioretty and and PK be able to move up, and and that was uh, and that was great to see too. Was Subban always a character? Yes. the thing with pk though is uh he's so gentle um he's really outspoken um but he wears his heart on his sleeve and talk about a guy that is is really respectful um he would just you could tell he was the the son of a you know of a teacher he was everything was always mr and mrs and thank you and it was uh you know it was you had to keep him in line, obviously, because he was a young guy and he'd do some funny things. But um, uh, his heart was always in the right place. I found. Were you the guy always keeping people in line, or? <laughs> uh, no, um, Alex Henry, big Alex Henry, was the guy that usually yeah. usually uh. kept people in line. <laughs> <laughs> he was big enough, right? So yeah, he was big yeah. enough. 
so so after Columbus, you go to the K AHL, Lokomotiv. What? Um, how did you make that decision to go to Russia, especially that team? Because if I remember correctly, that team that team was entirely lost because of that plane crash, right in 2011. How did yeah. you make that decision? Um, so if we re- rewind it back to uh, that day. Um, I was getting ready to go to training camp in Columbus and yeah, I was watching the news, uh, before heading to the gym and I was watching the news in the morning with, with Melinda, you know, as we just got out of bed and we were kind of, you know, doing our morning routine and that popped up and you're just like, you're just you, like, it can't be happening. It's, it's surreal. It was, uh, it was like waking up on, you know, on, on nine 11 in 2001 and, you just like, you couldn't believe it was happening. And I, I called my agent who had a, a number of clients on that team. And I was like, Hey, is this like, is what I'm reading and seeing like true? And he was like, he was like, yeah. And you know, he was really emotional. And I remember sitting there and Melinda was really emotional. I played with, I'd played with Pavel Dimitri for a number of years. And, um, you just start thinking about, uh, you know, all these families and, you know, and, and, and mothers and fathers who had lost their sons and, and sisters and brothers who'd lost their sibling and, you know, kids who had lost their dad and obviously, um, wives who had lost their husbands and you can't think and, but, but feel gut wrenched for all these people that, that are affected by this. And, and then you, the scope that it reaches, um, you know, or branches out and it's just, it's the entire hockey community. And then it's just, you know, globally sport-wide um it's just it was it was heartbreaking um so fast forward the next year and knowing that they uh you know they didn't play that year and um I got a call from my agent and I was I thought I was in discussions with Columbus and hoping that we were going to you know come to terms on something to stay there but in the meantime, I didn't want to go to, you know, July 1 again and without a job. And so this came up and I was just like, Melinda, we are never going to see a contract like this in North America. And I'm not getting any younger. And I'm going to a place where I know what happened last year and, and what, you know, how scary this can be and, and everything like that. But... At that time, it was the right thing to do, and um, and it was the right thing to do. And if I if I could do it again, I would make the same decision again. I can imagine it's a, a very different place to get comfortable and and get used to um, personally and and professionally when you when you're in Russia. What was that adjustment like? And uh, what are uh, some of the the amusing stories that you might uh, say are, are takeaways from your time there? Well, I remember, oh, I can give you my first story. Um, I remember <laughs> flying, into, flying into Moscow, and um, so we're landing, and there's just, it's just me, it's my luggage, it's in the middle of July because training camp in Russia starts in July. And so that was a kick to the teeth right then and there. No <laughs> off-season. You sign the contract and it's just like, oh, guess what? You're in training camp in three weeks. And it's like, oh, okay. But anyways, <laughs> I'm, I'm landing in Moscow and I'm just like, oh, I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait just to, you know, to get to Yaroslav. We'll get in a hotel and just, just crash because it, it's traveling over there is long. So that didn't happen. So I get my stuff. <laughs> I meet, I meet like, uh, you know, a, a translator, um, you know, slash, you know, immigration officer that works for the team. And she's like, okay, um, now we have to go down to the embassy, downtown Moscow, and we have to start your paperwork. And I was like, oh, okay. So we head down to Mos- middle of Moscow, like Red Square, and we're doing our paperwork. And it took us about two hours to drive from the airport to downtown because Moscow, wow. is, it's, it's a phenom when it comes to traffic. So we get there, we're doing the paperwork. It takes about two hours. Then she comes out and she says, okay, we go back to the airport and you go to Frankfurt, Germany tonight. And I'm like, whoa, what is, what do you mean I'm going back to Frankfurt, Germany tonight? So anyways, travel the two hours back to the airport. I fly to Frankfurt, Germany uh, with just basically my duffel bag and my passport. So they are going to do my work visa in Frankfurt, Germany. So I'm in Frankfurt, Germany for about a day. And it's just like, okay, so now you, I got your passport ready. Okay, now you're going to fly back to Moscow and hopefully get to Yaroslavl. So I f- finally line, land in Moscow again. Driver picks me up and we're driving. It's about a three-hour drive north to Yaroslavl <sighs> out of Moscow. And so we're driving. We're driving through the middle of the, the city center of Yaroslav and I'm like, okay, like we're driving past a lot of hotels here and we're not stopping. I'm like, and this guy doesn't speak English, so I don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, he drives up to this place and he beeps his horn and these gates open and it's, it's like military style barracks. And I'm like, this is not, this is not a five star hotel. (laughs) So now I'm getting, now I'm getting a little worried. So anyways, they drop me off and I'm like, this is not the hotel. And the guy's like, um, no, like, yeah, you're staying here. So anyways, I didn't even care at that point. Just like, just get me inside and get me a bed. And like these two, these two, uh, older Russian ladies, they come out and they welcome you and you know, they're hugging and, and then they give you the grand (laughs) tour. They give you the grand tour of the Baza, which is the base. And, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's militaristic and it's it's army style and i get to my room and and there's like probably a, a five inch tv on a dresser and i'm like <laughs> with one channel and i'm like okay so anyways i at this point i didn't even care i slept for probably about 13 straight hours i wake wow. up i go down to the breakfast area at the base and staff and cronwall was there and and I said hey we're just meeting this is the first time I'm meeting you but do you have a place lined up so we can get out of here so so I end up so staff and got actually got into his his apartment that day so I only stayed at the base for like less than 16 hours which was fine by me and I shacked up with staff and for a few weeks and uh yeah that was my first story of russia but it was it was a doozy yeah so they had to send you back to germany just to get your green card is that or your visa worked yeah they couldn't do it in moscow no they had to send me to 
they yeah they send me the they could send me to any any Russian consulate that um, outside of Russia. So they could have sent me to Helsinki or or Germany or whatever. So they just decided to send me to Frankfurt and and, and did all that. But you know, I wasn't expecting it. So it was it was a tough tough first trip into Russia. It was a it was wow. the rude awakening. Wow. <laughs> the uh, what what were the games like? What were the fans? Uh, like in the games that you played in Russia, I love playing there. Uh, every game was, you know, it didn't even matter. There was, you know, there's a couple places where they did not sell out, um, but most places, you know, they were packed and they wouldn't sit. They would stand. They would chant all game long. They would whistle at the refs if they didn't like something. Um, it was just a really cool experience. It was, it was something like you'd see in a like a European soccer match, and it was just you know, in a cold, icy place. Were you known as the Sandman in Russia too, or what did they call you in Russia? Oh, I don't even know what they called me in Russia. <laughs> they they might be better off. <laughs> well, the, the trainer, the trainers just went with Sandman, but they added the you know Russian twist at the end, so they called me Sandmanchik. So, uh, <laughs> so that's that's what we that's what we went with, and. Uh, but uh, the, I, I met so many great people over there. You know, I remember <laughs> the first time, um, you know, that first season, they were, we were there, we were serving a purpose for these people that were, you know, mourning the loss. It wasn't even really about, it was about hockey, but it, it was about more than hockey. We were, you know, we were serving, you know, these people something to, you know, feel good about again. Um, we're trying to, you know, help them grieve and mourn and get through the loss that they had just suffered. And, you know, I think we, I think we helped with that and, um, they embraced us so much. And I remember walking, we'd be walking downtown or to a restaurant or something and someone would notice you on the street and, you know, they'd run over and they just hug you and say, thank you. And it was, it was such a cool experience and you know it was it was stuff like that 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 i remember more so than than the games itself um you know i think the toughest part was you know when we would fly into um the cities that some of these some of these lost players you know were from you know we'd go to the cemeteries and we'd meet with the families and you know those were you know those weren't the easiest things to go through but i think you know as a team, we had to do that and we had to honor those players and we had to pay our respects to those players. And, um, you know, because they were, you know, they were, they were in the seats that, that we were in at that point. And, um, so that, that first year there was, there was a lot of things going on and, um, yeah, there was some times where, where hockey, it wasn't, it, it took a backseat and, you know, there was, there was more important things to think about. You played three years in the KHL. And then decided to hang them up. How difficult was that decision? Um, it was difficult. Um, I think it wasn't. It wasn't. On one hand, um, it's difficult in the fact that if I knew I wanted to keep playing, it was going to have to continue to play overseas, and that meant that I would be, you know, continuing to live away from Melinda and the boys, and um, and that wasn't easy. Um, I knew that I could keep on playing. I was only 35. I could probably play for another two or three years. But again, 
the most important thing for me was was knowing that I thought I'd given you know a lot that I could give to my playing career. I knew that you know Melinda, Landon, Baron, and Kenrick had sacrificed a lot for me to do you know what I loved to do, what I dreamt of doing, and and I was able to do that. And at the end of the day, it was my time. It was my time to sacrifice, and it was my time to to decide that it was more important for me to witness my young family growing up than it was to, you know, continue to, you know, chase and, and play and, 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 and do all those things that take you away from family time at the end of the day. And, um, so that was the main thing. And, you know, again, it was, yeah, I could have kept playing, but it was the right decision at that time to, to just stop. When did you have the coaching bug? When did you know you were going into coaching? I had the coaching bug before I stopped playing. Um, it was just, you know, I always tried to be a student of the game, whether it was, um, you know, goaltending or, or any other part of the game. You know, I was really intrigued by it. I was intrigued in how teams were made up and how, you know, coaches made decisions and, and everything in between. Um, and it was something that I figured I wanted to get into. Um, it just so happened that, you know, I got out of playing and I got into coaching minor hockey and, and I was, it was, I was able to spend a lot of time with, with my oldest son Landon through that. And that was a gift. And, and I think over time you start to, you know, you start to get a little bit better at it, I think. And it, it keeps on interesting you. And I knew that I still loved hockey. Nothing was going to change that. And it was, it was a way to stay in it. And so you obviously, as we mentioned, have been around a number of, of top goaltenders uh, that, that have played in, in a number of different leagues. What do you take from other goalies when you're watching them as playing? And, and how does that translate to coaching? Oh, I, I, what I do with goalies is I don't teach them anything that, you know, oh, I would have did this because they're so much better than uh, I ever was. So, (laughs) (laughs) so like what I take when I watch in goalie, it's just like, um, it's about, presenting ideas to them it's about presenting concepts to them and and you know suggestions and obviously asking the I, I find it's just asking the right questions and allowing them to come up with the answers um because it's their talent um i just try and be a caddy to be honest i'm a golf caddy i'm just <laughs> there to you know to try and keep them pointed the right direction and to tell them to like get their shit together when they need to get their shit together. And, um, in that, you know, if their play is, if their play is slipping, it's, it's not because their play is slipping. It might be because some of their habits or details are slipping and we just got to get them back. And that's how I consider myself. I don't consider myself a coach. I just consider myself kind of a partner in their journey for the for for this moment and 
um, I just say, hey, don't look at me as your coach. Look at me as your caddy. I'm just here to help steer you. <laughs> Do you take that philosophy from coaches you've played for? or? Um, I don't know. I think... I think every coach is different. I think just like every goalie is different. Um, I don't think there's, you know, a clear cut way or to be a coach or to be a goalie or to be a player. I think, you know, it's, it's whatever your personality is. And I think just staying true to true to your values, true to your beliefs, be genuine. I think the easiest thing for, for a player to do is, is pick out who the fraud is and, um, I think you don't want to you don't want to be doing that because you know you're you're easily found out about and I just try and be myself and um, a lot of the time it's just like hey you are so you're so much better than I ever could have been right now and believe in yourself uh, trust in your instincts trust in your athletic abilities but one thing you can never do is is be outworked, be outcompeted, um, have the desire, don't be outdetermined to get where you want to go. I think those are the things that I try and, you know, instill in, in the, the guys that I work with. And uh, now that you are caddying for the uh, goalies in the Canucks system, um, how does Mike DiPietro look and uh, what other goalies are you working with right now? Well, right now, you know, I'm working with, with some goalies up in the local area for the offseason, getting them ready to, you know, whether it's AAA or, you know, Junior A or OHL, you know, get them in a good place where they're feeling good about themselves, about the work that they've done, that they can head into camp and their season and put their best foot forward. And then, you know, I work with, with our stable. Uh, it's it's Michael DiPietro, it's Artur Seeloffs, it's... It was Jake Kiley who, you know, who played for us for a couple of years out of Clarkson University, and he he got a bad injury at the end of the year. So it's 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 staying in contact with him and keeping his spirits up while he kind of navigates through his uh, rehabilitation and recovery. And um, we were bringing on a guy named Spencer Martin, who's been around the AHL for for quite a number of years, and he was a graduate of the OHL. So. It's going to be interesting getting to know him as a player and and as a person. So, digging in on some video on him just so I can really get a good understanding of his game and and how I can help him. And then, you know, I don't spend I don't spend too much time with uh, with Thatcher Demko. He's graduated. Um, I see him at training camp and. But you take credit for him, right? Though I do not take credit for him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thatcher is an extremely talented goalie and uh, I got the pleasure to work with him for a couple seasons um, and it's funny you, you just see some of these guys and it's just like this guy has it and he has everything you're looking at, at for a goalie he he owns it and he's got the the pedigree the size um, the you know the background winning championships whether it's world juniors or college or you know usa hockey program all these things he that he's he has under his belt and again it was just kind of making sure that you steer him in the right direction 
but get out of his way because you don't want to be the guy who screws him up. <laughs> uh, do you see anybody else in the organization with that kind of pedigree at this point? Like somebody that uh, we'll be noticing in a few years that you think once they put it together, they're really going to be something? Or well, I, I hope that I hope we say that about all of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, point. I I really, you know, I really believe in you know in everybody that we bring in this into this organization. Uh, you know, I. I, it's my job to help them understand and maintain the belief that they can chase their dream and achieve it. And that's all I try and do. Um, I was able to I was able to play and and it was great and everything. I want these guys not just to play. I want them to dominate in the NHL, whether it's, in our organization or a different organization. I want to see them all come through our, our program and parlay it into an NHL career. So is Mikey ready to take the bull by the horns? Do you think? And, and play in the NHL. I, I believe that Michael DiPietro is, is going to be an NHL goalie. Um, that's not for me to decide when that's going to be, um, working with him, um, having an understanding of his game, of his personality, of his work ethic, um, of what drives him. Um, it gives me an awful lot of reason to believe that he's going to play in the National Hockey League some at some point. My last question is for John. You're talking about all these Canucks prospects and, and how great this sound like. How excited are you, John, about the Vancouver Canucks and their, their future? Yeah, I think we're uh, I think we're gonna have a good year this year. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are, Curtis. If you've listened to any of the uh, previous episodes, that the first time that John has said something positive about the upcoming season for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, because I love my team, but I'm always terrified. That's always the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, well, there's a lot of exciting young players. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about for sure, and and they're an awful lot. They're they're an awful lot of fun to be around. Um, you know, I've been around, you know, Brock Besser and and Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes at training camps and uh, and rookie camps and um, you know and rookie showcase tournaments and you know they are they're extremely talented players and they're exciting to watch. Can you believe the way the game has changed, though? Um, I can believe the way it's changed. I can't believe how rapidly it's changed. Um, you, you know, Connor McDavid, and, and we said the same thing about Sidney Crosby when Sidney Crosby came in the league and and Ovechkin at the same time. We're like, these guys are changing the game. And then, you know, less than a decade later, it's like Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid's changed the game. You just look at. You look at look at the rosters and look at the age, the ages of the average roster. It's changed. The best players are 25, 26, 27 now. I remember guys getting the big contracts when they were 30 and 31. And these guys are like, you know, 25 and they're yeah. dominating the game. It's crazy. Some, some even younger than that. Yeah. 
It's, it feels like there's a lot more personality in the league, too. It seems like before it used to be guys trying to just not stand out, not draw too much attention to themselves. But it seems like the younger players today are more confident. They're more um, accepting of being a personality and standing out and uh, trying things that you wouldn't normally try in a game back several years ago. Are you yeah. noticing that? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think, yeah, like I go into a rink nowadays and you can watch for like the first 10 minutes if they're just like kind of messing around or whatever. And all they're trying to do is that the Michigan move. Yeah. But like you see it and like that happened like one time in what, 30 years. And now you see it attempted almost every game, every night someone's Uh trying to attempt it. These guys are so, they're so confident. They're so bold. But I think the other thing that, that comes with is like, the coaches are so they embrace that now more so than ever. Like these guys, like let, let your individual um, greatness shine. And if you're happy about what you're doing, if these guys are happy with what they're doing, like, you know, it's, they're, they're going to play better. The team's going to play better. And I, I just think that's what you're seeing now. Like coaches and management, are embracing individuality more than they ever did. Anybody score the Michigan on you? No, because what were we just talking about, Manny, two minutes ago, how the game has changed. We didn't have <laughs> those guys, Manny. <laughs> uh, who was the guy you hated who would skate in, into your crease? Or skate in front of the net and you'd be like, oh, not this guy again. In any league? Any league. I'll give you two. Um, Thomas Holmstrom. Oh. And Corey, Red Wing. Corey Perry. Corey uh, Perry. Eh? Yep. yep. And it was it was nonstop. It was whenever he was on the ice, he was he was in the crease. He was getting his butt end up under your chin mask. <laughs> your chin, like he was so good at all these little things, like and you just wanted to, like, you wanted to two-hand them every time, but <laughs> you know you couldn't because you couldn't put them on the power play because they were too good on the power play. Yeah. So, you're going to be out there for that anyway. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, he was always he was always tough to play against. Um, he still does a great job at it. Thomas Holmstrom, he was just he just set up the tripod, and he could deflect every puck. So not only was he a good, he was good at, you know, putting, putting a good screen in front of the goalie, but he deflected everything. And the other thing was he wasn't afraid of the puck. Like he would never, he would never dodge to get out of the way of the puck. Like he would like, if it was coming right at him, he'd let it go off his pants. He would let it go off his elbow pads. He would just like, he would eat pucks, but like he was just phenomenal and he was he was so good at what he did, and he was just a, such a pain in the ass to play against in front of him. <laughs> was there a guy uh, who always had your number and vice versa? Did you always have his number? Um, well, Patrick Kane, I think he probably liked to play against me because it seemed like he was always getting one or two um, against me. So but he, I, did, he did that with a lot of goalies, though. Yeah, but, you know... Just like every game, it's just one of those. He's just one of those guys. Like 
he's going to get his cookies every game and like he's such a he's he's a sniper and you know he's not going to go through a game where he's not going to get a puck on net and every puck he puts on net is a dangerous puck you know whether it's a forehand shot his backhand is lethal like his his backhand is just as good as forehand and it might even be more accurate to be honest um yeah he was just he just yeah was one of those guys that just owned me um who did you own who did i own oh man jeez i don't know who i owned <laughs> I didn't own anybody. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Hey, what do you think of Johnny Canuck? Johnny Canuck, like the logo. The logo. I, you know, I like. I like it. I think uh, it's funny as as things are kind of you know going going along. You start hearing some names that sprout up and. There's, I always had a thing in the back of my mind that it was it was going to be the Abbotsford Canucks and it was going to be the Johnny Canuck as a logo. I just thought it was just, I thought it was just one of those things I was going to, you know, it was going to be meant to be. And, you know, and obviously, you know, I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm not saying that because I didn't. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, I just, I just thought it was a good fit. Yeah, I, I like it. I think, I think it's good for the brand. I think it's I think it's good for the guys that are are in the organization that you know they do feel like they're Canucks and you know I think that goes a long way because now instead of being you know four thousand plus kilometers away you're just right down the highway you're half hour forty five minute drive away from from realizing your dream and I think uh, they should have that approach. Well, if you don't take credit for Thatcher Demko, you can take credit for Johnny Canuck, buddy. <laughs> Curtis, thanks very much for this. We kept you a long time. Appreciate the conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Great conversation. Boy, his memory is unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I've always found that really, really impressive. When not only like I, I hardly remember names and dates and times and, and all of that, uh, but like no, you remember the opponent. You're remembering the score. You're remembering the first movie you saw in a suit in St. <laughs> Louis, wherever he was. Like it's uh, some great stories. Some great stories in there. He was awesome. The turning point in his OHL career was allowing 29 goals in three games. That was unbelievable. I got to stop doing this or I don't think I'm going to be playing very long. And John's ready to run through a brick wall for the Vancouver Canucks after talking about the Canucks. Our Johnny Canuck, he's all fired up. Hockey's not starting. Of all the things that people have had to wait for and players haven't had a chance to play in a year and a half and all this, I don't know anybody that's more fired up about hockey than John (laughs) Rashad now after that. Yeah, that's all we have to do is just get people on from the organization, and then uh, I get all pumped up about it. What, what would you say to Jim Benning if we had him on? How about we get guys from the organization on? Yeah. Let's get the Aquilinas uh, uh, on this show, right? Oh, God, Let's, I Mark know better. Messier. Where's Messier? <laughs> we'll see how optimistic you are then, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> most overrated player in history don't forget if you missed our debate show earlier this week <laughs> go back and have a listen and let us know what you think about our opinions and share yours at four future considerations at gmail.com quick uh, reminder too john rashad hates the tragically hip so 
Let us know what you think. Send those emails in. Yeah, that's right. Hey, for future considerations at gmail.com. Direct message us on social media, podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook for future considerations as well. We want to thank our sponsors who are big, tragically hip fans. <laughs> London Awnings with Christina and Dennis. Quality that shows. And Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor, specializing in sport training and nutrition. Enjoy your weekend, and thanks again to Curtis Sanford, and thank you for listening to Four Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.